0: Merry Christmas again. Glad you're here this morning. Did anybody beside me do last-minute shopping for Christmas? Anybody fall into that trap? Every year, I'm I'm terrible. I realize about two days before Christmas, I haven't got anybody any presents. And so um, I was reading this uh, little uh, article on someone who was forgetful about uh, getting Christmas gifts, and she she said that in the rush of last-minute Christmas shopping, I bought a box of 50 identical greeting cards. Uh, Without bothering to read the verse, big mistake. I hastily signed and addressed them, all but one of them. Several days after they had been mailed, I came across the last card that I didn't mail. And I thought I'd look at the message that I had sent. And I was horrified to read. This card is just to say, a little gift is on the way. (laughs) That was pretty good, huh? You know, I, I read that and I thought, that could be me. I mean, honestly, when you're in a rush, sometimes you just are, are so, so hurried that you don't pay attention to details. Well, this morning, my hope is that the message I share with you becomes a bit of a gift to you from, from the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, it, it's really a, a continuation somewhat of our Christmas Eve services. Um, um, I'm going to talk a bit on, on, on the Magi specifically. I don't, a lot of you were here last night, but if you remember what we talked about, Herod fought Christ. Um, whereas the shepherds sought Christ, the angels uh, announced Christ and, um, well, I said that wrong, didn't I? The magi sought Christ. Anyway, the, the angels announced Christ and the shepherds encountered, uh, Christ and we got to the wise men and I kind of like, I knew we, I wanted to keep it short. So I, I, didn't speak on them as much as I wanted to. And I'm going to continue the story, kind of pick up uh, a bit of it, um, from their perspective here, uh, this morning, um. Now, when, you, when we talk about the wise men or the magi, you know, throughout everything you've seen, most of it is wrong. There probably weren't three kings. There were three gifts. Not necessarily three kings. There might have been 20 of them. Who knows how many came uh, seeking the Christ child, you know? And so some of that stuff that we see is pretty much just uh, tradition based on maybe some faulty thinking. Um, but this morning what I want to do with the big thought I, I want us to look at is this. The wise men's journey seeking Christ reveals different responses to Jesus. I think that's what, what I, want, I want to use their story for today. The wise men journey is illustrative of, uh, of different responses to Jesus. And so we're going to look at the story of the wise men and just learn from their journey this morning for a few moments. This is a short message. I'm just telling you that. So it's going to go by quick. So I'm going to go to Matthew chapter 2. going to read verses 1 through 3. Listen to this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw a star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. So, the first thing we learn from the Magi journey is this. Jesus... Perturbs worldly powers. All right? Now, I use that word perturbed on purpose. It was one of my mom's favorite words. <laughs> she passed away at Christmas. And every time I think of her, she would say, that really perturbs me. Do you guys know what perturbed means? It's disturbed on steroids. Okay? It means to be disturbed or distressed. So, um, when, when one of the responses to Christ that the Magi experienced was that he perturbed the worldly powers. Let me just give you this definition for perturbed. It means to disturb or to disquiet, to make anxious or to unsettle. So King Herod and all of Jerusalem are disturbed by the news of the Christ child. Now, I talked a lot on Herod last night, so I'm not going to talk on him much uh, this morning. Um, But I, I want to talk to you on why do the powers... Of this world struggle so much uh, with Jesus? And I think the answer is found in Acts chapter 17, verses 6-7, through seven, but, but let me set it up for you so you know what I'm about to read to you from, from Acts. Paul and his companion Silas had come to Thessalonica uh, preaching Jesus. Now, some of the Jews believed, which is tradi- uh, typical. Some of the Gentiles believed, also some Greeks and women believed, and those who did not believe were moved with envy. They were disturbed at the power shift they were experiencing. And so they went to the house of Jason where Paul and Silas had been staying, looking for Paul. But they didn't find Paul there. So they were so angry, they took their anger out on Jason. Listen to what happened and listen to their accusation. When they did not find them, this is from Acts now, chapter 17, when they did not find them, they did not find Paul and Silas, they dragged Jason And some other believers before the city officials shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. In a nutshell, this is what Christ does. He just turns everything upside down. He disturbs, he perturbs worldly powers. He turns the world upside down. And that's why the powers of this world will consistently wage war on him. In our next series beginning in January, January 8th, um, entitled Becoming Whole in a Fractured World, we're going to dive deeply into how to be whole and how to live righteously for Jesus Christ in a world that's so utterly broken and so utterly against him. We're going to use this book entitled Good and Beautiful and Kind as kind of an outline for the series, okay? So I'm kind of giving a little bit of an advertisement here of what's going to happen here, but it just fits into this message so well. Um, the author of this book starts by identifying um, three reasons or three Situations why our world is fractured. First of all, he says there's a failure for people to love. We call it sin. But ultimately, what sin's about is we have a failure to love one another and love God rightly. That's at the core of of sinfulness. And then the second thing he talks about is there's these powers, unseen entities, unseen enemies that constantly wage war on Christ. And thirdly, we all have hindering wounds. We grow up, maybe we're disappointed. I I was talking to my grandsons who, you know, were crying because they didn't get the right gift from us or whatever, you know what I'm saying? And I said, well, I remember at your age, guys, you know, that's always dangerous when you say that. But what I got for Christmas was like a flannel shirt. And grandma and grandpa would give me some socks. And they kind of just looked at me like, I can't even process what you just said to me. You know. And, and, and sometimes you have you have these things that just linger with you. And not, that's not a lingering wound, okay? I'm just going to say that for me, <laughs> just so you know, I'm not I'm not really mad at Grandma for giving me socks. But anyway, uh, but you, you know, you have these things that happen in your life that affect the rest of your life. Well, I want to zoom in on his second reason here that the world fractured, that we have these powers. That, are, that, that they're often unseen enemies of the cause of Christ. Now, I've tended to look at powers and principalities using Ephesian scripture as some kind of demonic activity that is resistant to the cause of Jesus Christ. But as I've read this book and thought about it, yeah, it's bigger than that. Powers are often institutions that just promote life devoid of God. Did you hear what I just said? Oftentimes, the big enemy that we face is basically all these institutional kind of uh, places that just say, you can do life without Jesus. We don't need God. We just, you know. And, and so, we face many, I think, institutional powers in our land that promote the idea that you can somehow do okay in life without God's involvement. And these powers then either unintentionally or intentionally wage war on the cause of Christ. Herod now, let's go to him. He is perturbed. He is disturbed. Why? Because he has spent his entire life getting to the top of an institutional power that was really anti-God. And he didn't want to be dethroned. He didn't want to be, you know, usurped by this new king, Jesus. But Christ's kingdom is so entirely different from these world kingdoms, right? Jesus comes on the scene and he says things like, you know, the first will be last. Hey, Herod spent his whole life becoming the first. He didn't want to be told the first will be last. The greatest will be the servant of them all. In Christ's kingdom, we're to store up heavenly treasure and uh, not earthly ones. It's just contrary to everything we're taught by the institutional you know, entities and powers that are, that are devoid of, of Christ's likeness. In Christ's kingdom, we're told the proud are going to be resisted, but the humble will be exalted. Now, we, we know this. We, we hear this all the time. It's good to be humble, right? Do you realize how culturally altering that statement was? Because in the time of Rome, If you were humble, you were viewed as weak, a weakling. It was a weak thing to be humble. It was strong and powerful to be proud. So when Jesus comes on and says, the humble will be exalted and the proud will be put in their place. It was like so foreign to them, right? And the powers at that time really resisted these kinds of teaching. All of what I just stated to you stood in stark contrast to Herod and the powers that he headed up. Herod wanted to be in charge. He spent his life working his system to be in charge. That was just naturally inclined to resist Jesus Christ. So when Jesus comes along, what did Herod do? He fought him, right? That's what we talked about last night. He just fought him in every way he could. Here's what I want to tell you. I want you to hear this. We all have a bit of Herod in us if we're honest. We want to be in charge. And Herod's example reminds us that when we do that kind of thing and we think that way, we're fighting against God. It's not a good position to be in. So the first lesson we learn from the wise man's journey is that seeking Jesus perturbs worldly powers. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 2 and I'm going to continue on now with the journey of the wise man. So I'm going to read verses 4-6. through When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law he asked them where the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem in Judea they replied for this is what the prophet has written but you Bethlehem in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel now as sad as Herod's response was to the uh, you know announcement of of, of Christ I think the chief priests and teachers is even more sad they knew the facts right they knew prophecy. They knew the religion, but they missed the opportunity to witness and experience the Christ child. And so they missed God incarnate. They missed God in person. I mean, this, this is what they were supposed to recognize. This is what they were supposed to port to. But you know what? I, I want to say this. I want you to hear, now, hear this in the right way. Oftentimes, religion is another power that resists Christ. Did you hear what I just said? Oftentimes, the religious find themselves at odds with Jesus Christ. So, hear this point. Those interested in religion will discard and dismiss Jesus. If you're interested in religion, and I'm going to explain what I mean by this statement, you're probably going to discard and dismiss Jesus. So, this non-Jew Herod, he's an Indomenean, right? We talked about that last night. He goes to religious authorities of his day to get spiritual insight on Messiah, And they have the answer. They quote, you know, an Old Testament prophecy from the book of Micah that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem's only six miles away from Jerusalem. Why didn't these religious ones who had the academic training and knew the answer, why didn't they go and search for the Christ child? Because they had become part of a power That was resisting Christ. Now, you have to understand what made up this group of religious leaders. First of all, there's the Sadducees. And I've done this before, and some of you are going to remember this. They're sad, you see, because they do not believe in the resurrection of the dead. They do not believe in angelic beings. So what are they going to do with Jesus Christ and the Messiah coming, Right? They're part of the religious establishment, but they're antichrist. They're against Jesus Christ. They're a power that was resisting him. And although they could quote the verse and they could say where the Messiah was going to be born, it was just merely an academic exercise for them. It had no spiritual oomph. They were religious, but they were spiritually dull. Then you had another main group. They were the Pharisees. Now, again, I'm going to do my little quip. They're not fair, you see. Because they believe in a bunch of rules that they made up. And they're trying to lay those rules on everybody else. And the way they think you're okay with God is by adherence to these rules. And so you have these religious folks. One, uh, on one hand, they don't even believe in the spiritual dimension uh, uh, that they're supposed to promote. On the other hand, there are a bunch of them talking about all these rules that make you okay with God. Well, we know rules can't make us okay with God. All they do is identify what we're not okay with God. And why we desperately need a savior. I was reading about rules and doing a little research. Interesting how long this has been problematic for even the church. A young man who was interested in going spiritually deep asked his uh, elders of the day, what must I forsake to become spiritual? Here's what they said. You're going to enjoy this. Get rid of colored clothes for one thing. Get rid of everything in your robe that is not white. Stop sleeping on a soft pillow. Sell your musical instruments and don't eat any more white bread. You cannot, if you are sincere about obeying Christ, take warm baths or shave your beard. To shave is to lie against him who created us to attempt to prove on his work. <laughs> we, 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 read, we hear this. This list was formulated 1,800 years ago to try to help people become more spiritual. Now, what do you think of the list? Because this list, I'm telling you what, has just morphed over the years into different things. Depending on what era you live in, people are always going to suggest some do's and don'ts that will help you become more spiritual. And I read this list and I'm going, okay, interesting. <laughs> Listen to this one. I love this one. I was reading this about rules, okay? I'm sorry, I'm not. This is, I'm just randomly ranting here, so just hang in there with me. The story was told some years ago of a pastor who found the roads blocked one Sunday morning, and he was forced to skate on the river to get to church, which he did. When he arrived, the elders of the church were horrified that their preacher had skated on the Lord's day. After the service, they held a meeting where the pastor explained that it was either skate to church or not go at all. Finally, one elder asked, did you enjoy it? When the pastor said no, the board decided it was all right. Religious, rule-oriented people disregard and dismiss the spiritual. Therein lies the problem. And that's what happened with this leading group uh, at the time of Jesus' arrival. They were so religious, and they were so into rules, and they were so, you know, tuned out of the Holy Spirit that they became part of a power that fought against Jesus Christ. And it's so sad because they missed then the event that all the teachings were pointing to. They missed God incarnate. And and so an insight we glean here from the Magi's journey seeking Jesus is that those just interested in religion will probably disregard and dismiss Jesus Christ. In fact, I want to go go a bit farther with this. The religious try to earn their way to heaven. And I want to make this really clear this Christmas. You guys have heard me say this multiple times if you've been around Grace Point. We need to know better than that, that, that we can earn our way and have favor with God that way. True Christianity relies solely on, on faith in Jesus Christ, that he has paid the price for our sin and there's nothing else that's needed. We're redeemed solely by faith in him and then the penalty of our sins removed and we're heaven-bound instead of hell-bound as we place our faith in Jesus Christ. We have to actively fight the powers that say you have to earn your way. And that, my friend, is culture. You have to perform. We have to actively fight against these powers. God accepts the one who trusts in him. That's all there is to this thing called Christianity. There is no more. We don't add anything else to it. It's not a matter of worthiness. None of us are worthy. We can't be worthy in and of ourselves. We're never going to be good enough. You're good enough because Christ has redeemed you and he loves you. And you rest and you abide in that love. I read sometimes of uh, 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 the old saints. I love to do that. I'm a kind of a history buff. Martin Luther and Philippa Melanchthon were once deciding on the day's agenda. Philip, trying to be very spiritual, said, Martin, this day we'll discuss the governance of the universe. <laughs> to which Luther replied, this day you and I will go fishing and leave the governance of the universe to God. I, you know, you don't, think, you don't think of Luther this way, do you? You know, you think of him putting up the 95 thesis and being all gun- But then you, you get some glimpses into him and say, today, you know what we're going to do? We're going to go fishing. And we're going to just rest and abide in a God who loves us. And let, let's leave the governance and the, the big question to the universe, to God himself. So just know this this Christmas Eve. You are, by faith in Jesus Christ, a beloved son or daughter of the Most High. He loved you so much that he came to pay the price for you and to sacrifice himself for you. This is what Christmas reminds us of. Our God just loves us so much, he became one of us so that we can become a beloved son or daughter. Rest in that, amen. Abide in that and never let anything move you from that truth. Let's pick up the journey of the Magi here back in Matthew chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 7 through 9. Actually, I think this is still chapter 2, but I put one down by mistake here in my notes. Okay, here we go. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. So here's what we discover now as we continue on this Magi journey. Christ is discovered by those who diligently seek him. Christ is discovered by those who diligently seek him. Diligence just means conscientious and persistent effort of attention. For those who just really earnestly, authentically seek after God, seek after Jesus Christ, he'll be found by them. Now, I, I've done a lot of study personally on the Magi because they fascinate me as a group of people. And I'm convinced that the ancient Israelites interacted with these men from the East and they shared that God was going to send a Messiah. They're going to send Jesus, and I'm convinced they knew the prophecies about you know you know a star will come out of out of Jacob, you know, and a scepter come. You you follow what I'm saying? They knew these ancient prophecies and, and and these. Men from the east were evidently astronomers, stargazers. And so they knew that there were, the, the, the star would appear. And, and, and I'm convinced it appeared in a certain constellation that stole, told the story of Christ. I've talked about this before here. And, and I, I don't think they were bumbling fools that just happened to come and find Christ. I think that they were ones that God had put his message into their culture. And they saw the star and they recognized for what it was but we don't know that much about them no matter how much you study they're kind of a mystery but what strikes me and i mentioned this last night just briefly one of the two of the so i can't remember um we don't know much about these guys other than boy they were willing to travel a long way to find the christ child whereas the teachers of the law and the 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 chief priests they wouldn't even go six miles now these easterners were most likely persian thus they're gentiles and right away you see God's kingdom is being opened up to all nations, right? Because the Persians come and they worship the Christ child. They made the natural mistake in their journey of trying to find the, 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 the king of the Jews, the Christ, of, of thinking he'd be born in Jerusalem, um, but God's ways are never man's ways and Jesus was born in in Bethlehem, this humble beginning. So when you consider the Magi journey, it models for us what I think our journey of faith will frequently look like. And so I just want to give you three words to remember here really quickly. One, the Magi forsook. These these guys left the comfort of their home. They left the security of their home. They left their known world. And they journeyed down to Jesus Christ to find him. Our journey in Jesus will require that we forsake sometimes comfort that we get out of the zone where we think we're in control and we put ourselves out there and we follow him not knowing maybe where he's going to take us. That, that's one of the characteristics of following Christ. When I uh, became a Christ follower, there's no way I thought I'd ever be a pastor, right? Uh, I mean, I'm going into engineering school. I have a plan for my life. I'm going to do all this kind of stuff. But oftentimes what happens in our journey in Christ, it unfolds before you. And the question becomes, will you be obedient to what God's calling you to do? It, you have to sometimes be one that you forsake some of these things that you otherwise thought you were gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna do and you follow hard after Christ. Second word is followed then. The, 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 the wise men's trip took a lot of time. They had to persevere. They had to stick to it. I have a little saying sometimes in life when people talk to me about life being tough, I said, yeah, it is tough. Oftentimes the definition of, of a successful Christ follower is simply one who perseveres, who stands fast no matter what he or she faces. And that's what, to me, defines these wise men. They were willing to persevere and take a strenuous trip to find the Christ child. And then the last word that defines, I think, the, the, the uh, wise men is they found. They found Christ. They found the babe that, that God had sent into the world, and they found the incarnate God in flesh, you know, they're in the manger. Or not in the manger at that point. Who knows what? He might have been taller running around at that point. Anyway, but I think that encounter changed their lives. And here's what I want to tell you, and I hope you will take to heart. You and I find our identity in Jesus Christ. We got to find him that way. You know, if we find him to be saved from our sins, sure. That's great, right? I mean, that's that's. Fantastic starting point. You find Christ to be saved from your sins and to be heaven bound. But, but I think it really begins to mature and take on what it's supposed to take on when we begin to find our identity in him. And we begin to rest in him and let him define what life's about and, and follow hard after him. I think if we, we, if we really take to heart these three words, you know, that define, I think, the, the Magi's uh, journey, where they forsook, where they followed and they found. I think that'll serve us quite well. Um, oftentimes, we have no idea where Christ is going to lead us. That's why it's called the faith journey. But we've got to follow after him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So let's return one more time to Matthew today, and then we'll be done. We're to Matthew chapter 2 now, verses 10 through 12. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to the country by another route. So here's our conclusion today. Commit completely to Jesus. Commit completely to Jesus. And here's why I think the Magi committed completely to Jesus. They gave him the best. I talked about this in the Christmas Eve service, but gold represented royalty, so it was an acknowledgement of the royalty of Jesus Christ. Incense represents divinity, fully God and fully man, and myrrh represents the passion and the burial of Jesus Christ. Now, did the Magi know this? I don't know if they did. What they gave Christ was their best. They gave them the most valuable possessions that they own. I mean, if you look at how myrrh is even produced, it's amazing. It's an amazingly complicated process. It's produced by cutting the myrrh bush and then collecting the tears that, that it produces and then going through a process. And then the, 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 the ones that would, would, would uh, process this myrrh, they, they said it would relieve suffering and, and it had healing properties to it. Very indicative of Christ, right? And what does death and resurrection done for us? By Christ's stripes, what? We're healed. By the shedding of his blood, we're born again. We're made new. By him, we're healed of, our, of all the of all wounds of our iniquities and our sin, right? And so murder is so representative of Christ. And it's just really, really uh, cool when you kind of dive into it. But the takeaway for me is the magi gave them the best. They gave him the best. And these magi model for you and me what our journey will entail Jesus. One, he will disturb the powers that weigh war with us. Two, we'll be dismissed by those who claim to be religious, who want us to abide by rules and ritual. But in Jesus, we discover what life is meant to be as we completely commit to him. So like the magi, I believe we all have stars that God is calling us to follow. All right, now here's where I want you to use your imagination. There's, God has given us signs, stars in our own life, so to speak, that will lead us to complete commitment to Jesus Christ. For some of us, the way we begin our journey is by the godly light of a parent a relative or a friend. It became kind of like our guiding star that takes us to Jesus Christ. It may be the lamp of God's word that's guiding you strong and leading you. Follow it hard and let it determine your path. It may be the penetrating testimony of a saint, of a brother or a sister, of a friend or a neighbor that you look at and it just pierces your heart and you go, man, God, I wanna be like that. Follow that hard. Follow Christ hard in that way. You know, sometimes God leads us by the star of suffering. That's not an easy thing to follow in your life and grow. But frequently, people really connect with God when it's through a suffering kind of light process, I call it in their life, where they're being illuminated to what God wants to do. For each of us, we have a journey. It'll involve forsaking and following and finding These magi are called wise men, fitting title. It's a wise one who seeks Christ, finds Christ, and follows Christ. So I'm going to stop there. It's long enough. We need to get you guys out of here. One more song. Kyle's warming up back here. Would you bow your heads with me and let's pray? Lord God, I want to thank you for this uh, day that we remember Jesus our Savior. This day that we remember that you got so loved that you sent us your only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you're our sympathetic high priest, that you know us not from a distance, but up close. You know what it feels like to be in flesh. You know what it feels like to, you know, uh, suffer abuse and to be ridiculed and to suffer. You, you understand the emotions of love and joy and God, you're, 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 you, first, you have firsthand knowledge, and we're so grateful that you're, you're this high priest that, that gets us, Lord. Help us to be like the wise men. Help us, Lord, to understand that we're gonna perturb the worldly powers, that we're gonna probably be dismissed and disregarded by the religious, but Lord God, you know, when we discover you and follow hard after you, life is what it's meant to be. And I just pray for each one in here today that whatever journey you have them on right now, that they embrace it, Jesus, and they follow you hard in that journey. No matter what the context of it is and what's happening, may our eyes always be focused on you, Christ, and what you're trying to do in our lives. So this Christmas day, Lord, we commit ourselves to following you hard. May the year 2023 be just characterized by us uh, being called followers of Christ. I pray this in your name. Amen.